Welcome to CMS Employment Webinar named The Future is Now, The New World of Work. Hello, my name is Susana Afonso and I am CMS Portugal Partner in Employment and Pension Department. Hi, I'm Sarah Nolasco, a Senior Associate in the same department and law firm, and we welcome you today to our webinar. So, Sarah, as a consequence of the pandemic and the inevitable legislative responsiveness to it, has there been any significant shift in the employment paradigm? Yes, Susanna, there has been indeed. While before the pandemic, the talent work had a merely residual expression in Portugal, today we can say that it is the most common way of work and it has come to stay. This not only as a consequence of the exceptional and temporary measures established by the Portuguese government adopted during the state of emergency, emergency which is now a state of calamity, but also because effectively it has changed the way both employers and employees look at this way of working. In this regard, and in the first phase, it was possible for the employer to determine unilaterally the telework regime or be requested by the employee without the need for an agreement between the parties, if compatible with the functions performed. In a second phase, employers were obliged to adopt the telework regime regardless of the employment relationship whenever the functions and questions allowed it and the employee had the conditions to perform them without the need for an agreement also between employer and employee. Because of the obligation and according to the most recent data published by the National Statistics Institute and by the Bank of Portugal, it was found that in the last week of April, around 60% of companies had their employees working via telework. Being telework mandatory during the state of calamity, what happens when it is not possible to adopt this regime? Well, in such a situation, the employer must organize a staggered working regime, meaning different hours for the entrance and exit hours of the workplaces, as well as adopt technical and organizational measures that ensure physical distance and protection of the employees, namely through the promotion of stable work teams, alternating rest breaks, and the use of adequate individual protection equipment in situations where physical disconnection is manifestly impractical due to the nature of the activity. Furthermore, the employee may exceptionally change the working hours up to a maximum limit of one hour unless such modification causes serious harm to the employee. However, that modification cannot result in, the ex in, the, in exceeding the maximum limits of the normal daily and weekly working periods nor the change of the working mode from daytime to nighttime and vice versa. And Sarah, during the current state of calamity, do teleworkers have the same rights and duties that are acknowledged to other called normal employees? Yes, namely as regards the normal working hour limits and other working conditions such as health and safety at work and compensation for damages resulting from a work accident and professional illness. Also, they cannot have their salary reduced unless based on any of the specific cases already foreseen in the general law. Speaking of salary, do teleworkers still have the right to meal allowance? Yes, employees under a telework regime are entitled to a meal allowance, having this issue been clarified by the decree that governed the state of emergency. Note that before the clarification by the government, the granting of meal allowance to teleworkers was not a unanimous opinion with some defending that it was not due given the specific nature of this allowance. In fact, the purpose of the meal allowance is to compensate for an expense that the employee would incur if he was working away from home, 
which does not happen when employees are in a telework regime where they are able to take their meals at home. Mm. And after the end of the current state of calamity? Well, in this case, we understand that the meal allowance shall not be due unless that obligation becomes expressly regulated. Okay. Sarah, who is responsible for providing the necessary working tools and communication equipment under a telework regime? The employer. And if he can't? In this situation, the employee may, if he so consents, carry out his work using the means available to him. However, in both scenarios, it is up to the employer to plan and adapt home-based work to the needs inherent to the provision of work. Sarah, since the regime you have described so far is temporary and in principle will end as soon as the government declares the end of the current state of calamity and the return to the so-called normality, can you clarify if the general regime of telework, which uh, was already foreseen in our labor code, is very different? Of course I can, Susanna. I think that it makes sense to start with the concept of telework itself, which includes the following elements. The provision of work at a distance from the employer's premises, with legal subordination, which means carried out under the orders and direction of the employer, carried out usually outside the company, therefore it does not necessarily have to be carried out at home, although this is what happens most of the time, and with recourse to information and communication means. Are we still working established under the Portuguese Labour Code? As a rule, telework is established by agreement between the parties through the execution of a written contract for the subordinate provision of telework. This being the main difference in relation to the aforementioned ex exceptional and temporary regime, which can be determined unilaterally by the employer or requested by the employee without the need for a written agreement. Telework may also be established or imposed unilaterally by, by an employee on an exceptional basis in two scenarios, by an employee who is a victim of domestic violence and also by employees whose children are under the age of three. In both cases, if telework is compatible with the activity performed, the employer cannot oppose to it. The contract for the subordinate provision of teleworking, apart from being subject to the written form, must it contain other mentions? Yes, it, it must contain the following mandatory information. Identification signature and domicile or registered office of the parties, identification of the activity to be performed by the employee expressly mentioning the telework regime and corresponding salary, indication of the normal working period. If the period foreseen for the provision of work under a telework regime is shorter than the duration foreseen in the employment contract, the activity to be exercised after the end of that period must be included in a contract. Identification of the establishment or department of the company where the employee will be based, as well as who the employee should contact in the context of the provision of work in order to avoid abandonment or isolation. Ownership of work instruments, as well as the person responsible for their installation and maintenance and for paying the inherent costs of consumption and use. Imagine one thing. Imagine I don't comply with the last requirement. In other words, what happens if the contract does not mention who owns the tools, who is responsible for the installation, 
maintenance or for paying the inherent costs of consumption and use. In that case, it's defensible to argue that the work instruments regarding information and communication technologies belong to the employer and that the employee must ensure their installation, maintenance and the payment of the inherent expenses. Within the reimbursement of expenses are internet expenses and also water, electricity and gas also included. Once the employee uh, foreseeably spends more on this when he stays at home working. Our understanding, Susanna, is that the employer is only obliged to bear the internet installation expenses, the only debatable point being whether this obligation extends to the monthly payment for access to the mobile network too. On this point, it is our opinion that the employer is only obliged to pay in the strict measure of what the employee has to pay in addition to what he already paid previously to working under a telework regime. An employee who has never been in a teleworking regime start to work under this regime? Yes, an employee of the company that is already part of the team, called internal teleworking, or another employee engaged for that purpose, called external teleworking, can exercise the activity in a telework regime, both through the execution of a contract for the subordinate provision of telework. But Sarah, does the change of a normal employee of teleworking always imply the execution of an agreement between the parties? Yes, but in that case, I would like to point out that the initial duration of the contract or agreement between the employer and the employee cannot exceed three years or the period established in the applicable law. Really? Why? In order to avoid situations of, situations of prolonged absence on the part of the employee, which potentially generates situations of isolation, social and professional uprooting, and increased difficulties in career progression. Therefore, once this period of time has terminated, the employee must return to his original employment position, consequently maintaining the labor relationship under the common regime, under the terms agreed upon or those provided for in the CBA. Furthermore, the contract leading to teleworking must be unilaterally, may be unilaterally terminated by the parties without the need to invoke any justifiable reason during the first 30 days of execution. This is the so-called right of retraction. Very interesting, Sarah. Tell me one thing. Does the right to retraction entail the termination of the existing employment relationship? No, it does not. The initial contract is maintained and shall remain subject to the general termination clauses provided for by the law. Now regarding safety and health uh, at teleworking, tell me, Sarah, if an employee has an accident at work, at his place of work and or, in other words, uh, at his home, does the work accident insurance cover this event? Yes, in fact, the Portuguese Labour Code establishes a principle of equal treatment of the teleworker when compared to other employees. In this context, the teleworker has the same rights and duties as other employees, namely in relation to health and safety at work and compensation for damages arising from an accident at work or occupational illness. The main difference in comparison with other employees is the location of the risk. In case there were any doubts, these have in the meantime been clarified by the Portuguese Insurance Association, which has made it clear that insurance companies should cover accidents at work that occur to teleworkers while performing work-related tasks and during their respective working hours. For the, this purpose, employers should communicate to the insurance companies 
the identification of the employees under such regime, and the respective addresses where teleworking will be carried out. Now talking a little bit about teleworking monitoring. How can one balance teleworking with the employee's privacy? Well, that's a good question, Susanna. The employer must always respect the employee's privacy, resting times and family rest, as well as provide him with good working conditions, both from the physical and psychological point of view. But how? But how do you guarantee privacy and or the confidentiality of private and family life? Are visits to the employee's home allowed it? Visits are allowed, but they must respect the following rules. On the one hand, visits to the workplace must be restricted to the exclusive control of work performance and maintenance of the respective equipment. On the other hand, these visits can only take place between 9 a.m. and 7 p.m. and with the assistance of the employee or a person designated by him, and they must be booked in advance. They cannot be unannounced visits. Is it admissible for an employer to use remote surveillance means with the purpose of controlling the exercise of the professional activity of the teleworker? No, the use of such means implies an unnecessary and certainly excessive restriction of the employee's private life, reason why technological solutions for remote control of the employee's performance are not allowed. Those will be, for instance, software programs which, in addition to tracking work and inactivity time, record the internet pages visited by the employee and the location of the terminal in real time, amongst other types of control. Sarah, from all that you have just explained, uh, it seems to me that it is possible to, to conclude that teleworking has its advantages, but also its disadvantage. For example, I see the following advantages for the employee, reduction of or elimination of time spending commuting from home to work, Reduction or elimination of expenses inherent to the exercise of a professional activity far from home, namely transportation and food. Reduction of stress, mm, I don't know, uh, perhaps. Greater pleasure in the work developed. Better conciliation of professional and family life, flexible working hours. More comfortable working environment. Professional performance with greater autonomy and easier employment and greater freedom of work. For the employer, decreased operating costs in facilities, energy, transport, and personal. Optimization of available space, greater efficiency and productivity regarding the work developed by teleworkers from whom greater responsibility and creativity is required and whose degree of motivation is higher. Possibility of adopting management schemes by objective or results, greater flexibility for business management, easier personal recruitment, and perhaps finally, greater resistance to external factors that could jeopardize the regular functioning of the production units, such as transport strikes, acts of terrorism, or natural disasters. For the society in general, three advantages, reduction of urban traffic and commuting, daily and massive displacements of employees from the suburbs to the big urban centers, reduction of atmospheric pollution levels, better management of urban spaces and requalification of cities, especially, especially 
the suburbs. And which disadvantages do you see, Susanna? As regards disadvantages for the employee, I can point out greater isolation, possible difficulties in career advancement, difficulty in dividing work time from personal and family life, and the right to disconnect is called into question. For the employer, greater uh, difficulties in exercising management power, more difficulties in conforming the work provision taking into account the fact that the work is carried out at a distance and without the immediate right to control. Undoubtedly, Susanna. So, Sarah, so it seems that in the face of this uh, conjecture the, that has brought uh, has a different way of working, a new type of employee is emerging, isn't it? That's right, Susanna. They are the so-called digital nomads who are characterized by using technology to carry out their duties remotely, their work being solely and exclusively dependent on the use of electronic means at their disposal. The concept of dig digital nomadism focuses on a lifestyle, lifestyle and work that can be considered nomadic in the sense that it does not depend on a fixed location and allows ge geographical freedom for prolonged periods of time. Is there any specific legal regime which regulates this type of labor relations? No, there is still no specific legislation governing this type of employment, and therefore the general rules applicable to ordinary employment contracts will apply. Therefore, in the case of employment situations involving digital nomads, the rules to be observed in this relationship must be established in the employment contract or in a subsequent agreement. For example, whether the employee is or is not entirely free to choose the place from which to perform work, or whether it depends on a pre-existent agreement with the employer, or whether the employee's freedom to choose his place of work is limited to a certain territorial area, in the country, in certain countries, or in the European Union. Great challenges. Sarah, tell me one thing. What are the main problems raised by this new type of employees? Well, the digital nomads raise several challenges, among which the following stand out. Determination of the applicable law, determining the tax residence of the nomads, and determining the applicable social security regime. Considering that there, there is no uniform labor law, what is the applicable law to the employment contract? As a rule, the applicable law is the one in force in the country where the contract is performed. However, in the case of this type of employee, the contract will tend to be performed successively in multiple countries, each with its own employment regulations. These may vary markedly, markedly in many important areas of the employment relationship. It is therefore highly recommended that the parties expressly choose the national law applicable to the contract. This will enable them to stabilize the legal framework that will govern the contractual relationship. Sarah. I know that if an individual exercises an activity as an employee or as a self-employed person in one member state, they are subject to the legislation of that member state. But what if they exercise in two or more member states? To which legislation shall they be subject to? In such a situation, the legislation of the member state of residence of the individual will apply if he carries out a substantial part of his activity in that member state. Conversely, if the employee does not carry out a substantial part of his work in their member state of residence, 
the applicable legislation will be, will be that of the member state where the registered office or place of business of the employer is situated. I mean, I have one question now regarding the right to disconnect. Out of curiosity, what does the right to disconnect and or disconnection consist of and how is it related with, to everything we have just talked about? The right to disconnect from work is a subject of particular importance, especially now at the time of pandemic, where teleworking has become the new reality of the labor market. In addition, and with digital being very present in our personal and working lives, it is very difficult to be 100% disconnected from constant notifications. Therefore, the right to disconnect from work is a way to impose a clear separation between the employee's personal and professional life in order to protect the employee not only in psychological terms, but also in terms of health and well-being. More specifically, it is about the work being reserved the right not the, the worker being reserved the right not to answer calls, read and or write emails, read and or reply to mobile phone messages or social network conversations, which are work-related outside their working hours. But is there already any legislation in Portugal in this respect? Before the COVID-19 pandemic, some countries in Europe had already instituted in some way a law allowing this right to be observed. However, Portugal is not part of that set of countries since it is not easy to reverse a mindset that quite negatively judges an employee who does not remain contactable during rest periods. Portugal only provides for a right to rest, which can also be interpreted as a right of employees to disconnect from work during due hours. This is because, this because Time is, that is not within working hours is considered to be time to revoke to rest. However, this is not enough to consider this as an unequivocal right regulated by law, enabling not to receive or not to respond to emails or other electronic notifications outside the normal working hours. Thus, one of the greatest challenges of the future will be exactly the implementation and regulation of the right to disconnect in order to protect employees from the risks inherent to telework. Sorry, I have one last question. As we are in a phase of gradual and successive disconfinement with the return of employees to the employer's premises, can the employer ask or require employees to take COVID tests? As a rule, labor legislation states that the employer cannot require employees to perform or present medical tests or examinations of any nature to prove their physical or mental conditions. However, the law established an exception when the purpose of the tests or examinations is the protection and safety of the employee or of third parties, or when particular requirements inherent to the activity so justify they may be requested, but the employer is required to provide the respective grounds in writing. In this specific case, given the World Health Organization's decision to classify the new coronavirus as a worldwide pandemic, it seems to us that the exception to the rule is legitimate and employers may require employees to perform medical screening tests. Thus, as long as the company provides employees with a written justification for the COVID-19 test, and this is submitted to the occupational doctor who only communicates to the company the employee's aptitude or inaptitude to return to the workplace, 
there is no legitimate reason for employees to refuse such tests. And who is responsible for the payment of the tests? Unless the employees have a medical indication from the Director General of Health to take the aforementioned medical examination, the employer will have to pay for the test in the private centers that make it available. So now, Susanna, let's skip to our Q&A session where we may answer some of our listeners' questions. It seems here that we have one question, which is, being Portugal in a phase of deconfinement, uh, until when will teleworking be mandatory? Well, that's a good question because the indication we have right now is that telework will be mandatory until December 31st. In the meantime, we also heard uh, in public news that the government was prepared to um, only maintain this, uh, this obligation for uh, municipalities with a high risk uh, regarding COVID-19. But nothing has been published yet, so the indication that we have right now is that telework remains mandatory until December 31st. Uh, another question from our listeners, which is, uh, can the employee refuse to go to his workplace, to meetings, and or to travel based on COVID-19? Well, this depends a lot on the concrete situation, and in the current scenario, common sense and reasonability should prevail. So, uh, what I can say is that employers should always respect the official recommendations which include avoid traveling, uh, particularly to risk areas, and reduce trips uh, and uh, meetings in person. Um, in view of these recommendations, uh, we believe that an employee may only legitimately refuse uh, to comply with such an order if uh, he or she considers that the company is not complying with the recommendations, is failing to provide adequate personal protective equipment or uh, not uh, enabling uh, the employee to carry out uh, his or her duties safely. Okay, it seems that we don't have any more questions. Susanna, it was a pleasure to hold the, the webinar with you today. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.